I live in Israel. This season is dedicated to the memory of the 1,400 of my countrymen who were massacred on October 7th, and the 240 people that were kidnapped and are being held hostage by the terrorist organization Hamas. Hopefully they will be returned to their families as soon as possible, and hopefully this terrible war will be able to come to a peaceful end very soon. Welcome to Minute 61 of Season 6 of Move Around Minute, the daily podcast, where we take a Capra-esque journey through the 1946 classic, It's a Wonderful Life, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me this week, I, I have special guests. I actually, I mean, for anyone who knows me and my show, you, you know, most of the time I use the same guests every time, but just because, you know... I enjoy the conversations with them. But this time I, I went because we're dealing with a classic movie and I decided that I'm going to try and find some people who have more of a background dealing specifically with classic movies. And I came across uh, a podcast. We have this week uh, two of the trio of hosts from the old movie time machine. Uh, we have Justin and Caroline to, to join us. Uh, this week. So welcome to the show, guys. Hey, Rob. Thanks Thank for you so much for, for having us. We're very excited and feeling very honored to be welcome into the movie Rob family at this point. I mean, exactly. It's very special for us. I know it's it's rare elite company and I'm just pleased <laughs> to be a part of it. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad that you guys were able to, 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 to find the time to join in and, and give us the perspective of a minute by minute look and it's a wonderful life from people who, uh, I'm assuming, have you, have you guys ever encountered a minute-by-minute minute, uh, podcast before? I'm pretty familiar with it from Star Wars Minute. So okay. That, that well, everyone's way into this everyone's familiar yeah. from Alex and Pete. There's no question about that. But, you yes, know, did true. you know that there are hundreds of others? Oh, yeah. Oh. Yes. I've checked them out. I think I did one for Hocus Pocus of, of some years back that I remember listening to. That was very entertaining. But, yeah, it's it's a fun time. Okay, but this is the first time you're you're part of one. You're in it. Yes. yes. There you go. Correct. There you go. All right. So I really appreciate you guys taking the time to join us for this. So minute 61 begins with George uh, acting quite confused and ends with George uh, showing up at a uh, at a house with a little sign in front of him that says bridal suite. Yeah. How do we feel about this house, you guys? I mean, this was a bold move by Mary, I feel like. It, just going ahead and getting this house. Uh, I think it's a smart, shrewd move on her part to, you know, secure some property for their future family and everything. Um, I will say that, you know, the house, if we were going to list this house, it's a fixer upper, right? Like it uh, definitely yeah. needs some work. Um, <laughs> I think that would be fixer upper. <laughs> yes. Yes. But because there might be some ghosts. well, there's, it's definitely haunted, right? right it's it's gotta be. so haunted. Yes. Uh, but I would say this this is a house that probably has good bones, right? We would say that like you could strip it down and, and start again pretty easily, I think. I would I would say it's probably going to be pretty solidly built because it does look like it's, uh, you know, a late 1800s uh, style, although albeit a movie set, which also made me wonder 
is it also the same house in the ghost and Mr. Chicken? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> is it, you know, have we seen this house before? <laughs> um, right. Potentially, potentially. But, uh, you know, it's got the, it's got the nice turret. That has well, again, do you, do you guys know, do you guys know what year this, this scene is taking place? Okay. So. Oh, mathematically. We um, start in, we start in what, 1919? Is that right? Is that where the, 1919 the timeline was, starts? Yes, that's correct. Okay. So then okay. this is 12 years later or something like that? Some, somewhere around this is, a, this is 13 years later. It's, this is around 1933. Okay. At, okay. Basically, the, the, the run on the bank, and which just took place you know, two weeks ago, mm-hmm. or actually two weeks ago and last week, that more or less uh, takes place in 19 – somewhere at the end of 1932, 1933, maybe 1934. It's, it's very unclear because, I mean, we know that Harry came back in 1932. And right. so when, okay. when George right. was at Mary's house, that was 1932. Okay. Um, how okay. long it took for them to, to continue dating until they got married because obviously this is the day of their marriage – we don't know. It could it could be just a few months. It could be a year later. So it's it's somewhere in between 1932 and 1934. That that's that's my guess. Okay. So depression era. Yes, depression era. Mm. No, because you mentioned the fact that this is a late 18th 1800s uh, yeah. uh, Victorian house, which means that I mean it it seems like it's a house that's a little more than 30 years old. Probably. You know? Yeah, definitely. But it's it's so strange that. It seems to be in a very nice neighborhood. I mean, there are neighbors. It's not like a blighted area or anything like well, that. Well, there are neighbors. So, there, there's one neighbor that we know of that, uh, you know, is is a little upset that, that youth is wasted on the young. Of but, course. You know. Yeah. Yes. Right. He's jealous of their love. Well, let's, yes. Let's just put it out there. Yes. Of he course. Wishes he, had, he wishes he had his own Mary, of course. But it's strange that this house would just kind of sit there, especially when you got old man Potter who's looking for any kind of, you know, uh, real estate investment, any kind of uh, way to to get some more bang out of his buck, just the property value alone. I feel like everybody's missing an opportunity here, but Mary saw it. Correct. Yeah, she's she's uh, we I think we know who wears the pants in this relationship and who's deciding um who they're who get when when and whom she's marrying and that's mary mm-hmm. and so she's also going to make some of the big financial decisions like getting a house right we are doing this it's done. okay but i think i think part of it is is that you know george is busy with with the building alone that's taking up all his time he's got no time mm-hmm. for anything else but he he's also oblivious to so many things around him i mean we we, we talked about this uh, a few weeks ago that you know, the, every time that Mary showed an interest in in George, he 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 wasn't catching on. You know, he he's yeah. a, he's a dreamer. You know, he he's he's someone who likes to read about things but doesn't know how to experience them. I guess you can say, and that's more or less the way that that I would refer to this here. So he mm-hmm. wasn't thinking about okay, where are they going to live? Because you also have to take into consideration they were on their way out of town. Yes. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So, I, so I felt so bad for this guy. I mean, every time he's just at the outskirts of town, he gets pulled back in. That's he right. He just never seemed to escape the vacuum of Bedford Falls. That's right. So I we, mean, we... I would also say that Mary kind of um, ends up being the the conduit for a number of things that hold him in town, like 
the big old house that they're going to fix up that we have now arrived at. And eventually, you know, the kids that come along. Correct. Mm-hmm. But we, but we didn't, we, we don't see at any point around now that George is still trying to get out. You know, once he's, once he realized that Harry is not going to be taking over, he realizes he's stuck there. You know, so again, we talked about the timeline. This is maybe a few months later or maybe a year or two later, whatever it is, but he's still stuck there. And we don't see him seeking a way to get out. No, he seems very committed to this idea that, okay, I'm going to be doing this, you know, for the foreseeable future. And it's a real, it's a good character note i think for him i mean it really reinforces what a solid guy he is uh you know somebody who is committed to preserving the family business and um you know doing right by the people he's grown up with and everything so it's 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 very interesting it it makes him more heroic in in his own way Mm -hmm. okay now i want to stop us here because we we sort of jumped a little bit ahead let's let's move back a little bit because we you know before we get to the house you know we still have the the the, the few seconds, there's like 10 seconds of the beginning of this minute that is dealing with George still in the building alone. So let's let's jump back in. Yes. Your podcast has a great name because it's a time machine. So let's go back in time a few seconds and we'll, mm-hmm. we'll get to the beginning of the minute where basically George is on the phone. He had gotten a phone call. He, he, he asked his cousin Tilly to, to, to get Mrs. Bailey on the, on the line, get his wife on the line. And then she says, Mrs. Bailey's on the line, not realizing at first that Mrs. Bailey is actually Mary, his wife, and not his mother. Mm-hmm. And we only hear George's side of the conversation, but he goes, what? Come home? What home? 320 Sycamore? Well, what? Whose home is that? And then he goes, oh, the Waldorf Hotel, huh? And th- that's the entire conversation that, that we hear here. So, I mean, some of the things that he says here are very interesting. You know, like, for instance, the, the fact that he first starts talking about uh, Sycamore Road. Y- you'd think that... You know, Bedford Falls isn't that big. <laughs> if he's told right. you got to go to Sycamore Road, he's he's he should know more or less where that is. You know, you'd think that he might not know it's this specific house, but he'll say to himself, "Okay, it's it's on it's somewhere in between the high school and my house, or the or Mary's house, mm-hmm. whichever it could be." Right. Do, do either of you know where where the the the, the, the term Sycamore comes from? I mean, I'm the assuming tree? you both know it's a tree. Yes, but where where's yeah. the What's the etymology of the term sycamore? Oh, I, I mean, no it's idea. like my first impression. I would think that maybe it's some kind of Native American tribe related name or something like that. But I, that's just a guess. That's what I would have thought uh, also. I but I, I looked it up mm-hmm. and, and it's actually from the ancient Greek, meaning the it's really? a fig mulberry. And, you know, they just decided to use it. I mean, it, it probably does have some connection to Native Americans. Because that's what I would think of, but mm-hmm. I think I think it's more like sequoia you think of from that, but I'm not sure. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. And this is oh, just I just wanted to double like Bedford Falls. This is upstate New York, right? We're, uh, we're supposed to yes, that, that, that's what inspired we're, by. We're supposed to understand that it's upstate New York because they mention you know Rochester and mm-hmm. uh, Buffalo. Right. Those are the yeah. those are the you know, like the, the song Buffalo Girls. It was a song that they would change the name of or the words in the song, depending on where you were geographically, you know, so it was Buffalo gals oh, because gotcha. they were closer to Buffalo. And then you have Detroit gals near Detroit. And I think there was Dallas. I, I don't remember all of the, the different towns or cities that, that were used at the time, but that's also another indication of how close we are to Buffalo and Rochester 
because Rochester's where Sam wants to build the uh, plant. Right. Yeah. So we know that it's somewhere in in the area, you know, stuff like that. Yes. Gotcha. And so then he mentions the Waldorf Hotel. So mm-hmm. are, are you familiar with the Waldorf Hotel? Yes, the Waldorf Astoria in uh, New York on the east side. That is correct. Do, do, you know the, do you know the history of it? No, but I'd love um, to hear it. Carolyn might, actually. I might know some of it, but you've probably already researched it. Um, but I have been in the Waldorf many times. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it's also been used in quite a few movies. Yes, that is correct. But yes. did you know that there were that that there was the original Waldorf Astoria that was torn down in 1929, and then they had a new one that was built okay. after that. So the the original one that it could and now George could be referring to either of them. You know, because again, the 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 big one was from the the original one was from 1897 to 1929. Uh, sorry, it was built in 1893. It was it was expanded in 1897, and they actually built two hotels side by side on Fifth Avenue in New York. Okay, two hotels. Yes, oh. and and then they were raised in order to build the Empire State Building. Ah, okay. Oh, okay. The Empire State Building is is on the the you know the the exact spot of where the original Waldorf Astoria was. So then the the Waldorf Astoria was was built by a millionaire whose name was William Waldorf Astor. Yes. Ah, uh, okay. Um, probably of Astor Place. That's right. Probably who, who he had. He originally had a mansion there. And then they they raised the mansion oh, okay. and then built the 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 dual hotels that were there that that you know stood for over thirty years. These two hotels, um, Astor, as anyone who's seen Titanic knows, is also you know it, it it was one of the rich richest families in America in the the mm-hmm. late nineteenth century, early twentieth century. You know, you had uh, John Jacob Astor who who died on the Titanic. You know, they, they discussed yes. him. Right. They, he was discussed in the movie. Um, I, I Do we believe, know what how their fortune was built? I mean, is it just old hotel money or did they come from timber or smelting or something like that? Oh, we know these things. Okay. <laughs> Railroads? <laughs> Shipping? <laughs> it's got to be one of those. I do feel like this was a time in the United States where building projects like Empire State Building or a big old hotel would be national news like that's something that people would be very excited about like oh they're building a new huge hotel in the city correct definitely so before television obviously so well they had nothing better to do kicks our heart to find (laughs) yeah right (laughs) yeah so the astro family was a they they were involved in business and politics in the u.s and in england during the 19th and 20th centuries the first Astor to to come up in history that the that's no was in the 18th century it was John Jacob Astor mm-hmm. and you know he came over from from uh, Germany in the uh, late 18th century and I mean he had uh, there there are a whole bunch of uh, John Jacob Astors uh, I don't I don't even know how many uh, there are at this point so yeah you know, they had uh, John Jacob Astor the third died in 1890. And he was actually William Waldorf Astor's father. Okay. Okay. Family of entrepreneurs. Oh, for sure. 
for sure. Yeah. They and the Waldorf. Now, is this the home home base of the Waldorf salad? All of you Faulty Towers yeah. fans out there, this is where the Waldorf salad was put together. I, I'm pretty I, sure. I believe so. I, I believe I've I've, yes. I've heard that also. I, I didn't look I up the Waldorf you, salad. <laughs> I can give you a really fun. So I live in Virginia, um, and there is a famous old Virginia family named the Langhorns, and they had four daughters. And uh, one of the daughters married Nastor and then became like the first woman in uh, seated in parliament. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So Nancy Astor, formerly Langhorn. Hmm. Right. So the one who died on the Titanic was uh, John Jacob Astor IV. Yes. Yeah. This was, um, yeah, I'm guessing this is uh, sort of a Astor offshoot, whatever ones went to England after making their money in the United States. Well, actually, Waldorf, Waldorf was, was one of the first ones to, or was one of them who went to, to England. He actually uh, became very prominent yes. in, in England also, not just, uh, not just in America at the time. Yeah. Um, he became so, a yes, Viscount. Waldorf. He was the first Viscount. Astor, I think, was um, her second husband, Nancy Langhorne's second husband. Yeah, it could be. He was. He became a. He moved to England in 1891. I guess that's why he basically, so you know, raised his his property and built a hotel there because he wasn't going to be living in that mansion anymore. Gotcha. Uh, moved to England, yeah. and then ended up becoming a baron, and then became a Viscount in 1917 yes. for his contributions yeah. to the war charities. So then the second uh, wall of Astoria that was built was built on Park, Park Avenue between 49th and 50th Streets. Um, and they they actually completed it in 1931. So, again, this is, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about 1932, 1933, 1934, somewhere around there. So, it, you know, it makes me wonder which which of them George is referring to. You know, my assumption is he's referring to the first one because he probably read about it and he wouldn't necessarily have read about any of the new ones, the, the new stuff yet. Mm-hmm. That would be my assumption. Yeah, that could be. I could be wrong. Could be. You know, it's 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 what what we would call an educated guess. You know, it might be wrong, <laughs> but it's educated. <laughs> so why not? I do think it's a bold move to invest in building a couple of huge hotels in the middle of the Depression. That's a interesting decision, but... You know, people have to have a place to sleep, I guess, when they're visiting. That's true. That's true. But again, he was, you know, he, uh, you know, 19, I don't even think, was it, was it him? Any, was it still him? Um, I'm, I'm trying to think if it was still him or maybe it was one of his kids at that point uh, that, that dealt with it. Because he, he passed away in 1919, William Walder, uh, William Waldorf Astor. So it's whoever mm, okay. was, was taking control of, you know, the, the hotel at that point decided to to continue doing it maybe you know maybe there was, it was it was a conglomerate at that point or maybe it was a uh, I don't know maybe they had the, they had a board of asters you know that decided to do it yeah could be well yeah no idea no idea <laughs> okay so then uh, the, we, we get another one of these great uh, uh, scene swipes that they do in this movie and we see George uh, you know, walking in the rain, you know, showing, which, which shows he doesn't have a car yet. You know, he's, he's, uh, 
you know, he's he's still dealing with, you know, the fact that he just got rid of $2,000 <laughs> earlier that day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have to say, I, I wanted to point out the rain because it's really good movie rain. I feel like this movie really does precipitation very well. Um, this, I have to confess, this movie has been a real cultural blind spot for me. I had not seen it before you invited us onto your show. Seriously? So I'm so, yeah. I'm, I'm shocked. Oh, wow. And it's, it's one of these, it's a, it's a great shame that I have carried with me that has now been lifted off my shoulders. Well, so I'm, I'm glad that I was part it. of that. You know, uh, you, oh, you're not yeah, my first, no, you're my first guest who's, who hasn't seen it before, but it just shocks me that you hadn't seen it. That That's what it comes down to. Yeah. It's one of those things I was thinking about it. Like, why would I have not seen it? Because we didn't grow up watching it. I know Carolyn has a different journey with this movie than I do, but it wasn't one of the standards that you would put on every year. It's always on television, but it's not one that we made a point of going out of our way to watch. So I was thinking I'm a bit embarrassed because I really love the Dickens Christmas Carol story. I love every version of it. If, if it's animated Muppets, the one from the fifties, the one from the seventies, I've seen them all and they're all great. And I love, especially as will eventually happen in this story, the sort of alternate timeline and being taken and, uh, you know, shown uh, what has been or what could be that kind of thing. So I feel like those two really work hand in hand. So I was really pleased to see that, you know, this is sort of an offshoot of that, that oh, wow. concept a little bit interesting uh, w- right off the bat watching this uh, i couldn't help but notice the snow this is some of the best movie snow i have ever seen looks legit it, it looks very serious it's hardy snow big flakes uh, i don't question the reality of it and it just does a very good job i don't know if you've already talked about it but it turns out that this is academy award-winning snow that oh. this was this snow was apparently developed through a new process before they would use cornflakes that were painted white. And Frank Capra, who has a background in chemistry, was not satisfied with this. And so they had to develop a new chemical formula with uh, soap flakes that would make it look more realistic and give them the volume that they needed for it. And through this process, the technical team, I guess, won an Oscar for this for making great movie snow. And so that just kind of, so they're doing snow really well, uh, top marks there. And then the rain in the scene, uh, as the viewer, I feel that rain. It is very yes. <laughs> gloomy and depressing, heavy, looks chilly. Like I, I feel the rain. So great job all around there, I think. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. Now, I mean, I find it really interesting that that George is standing there in front of the building you know, in front of this house, looking around, trying to figure out what, what what's really going on here. Now, if we if we jump back in time a little bit and think when he was there, you know, four or five, six years ago with, with Mary when they were throwing the rocks, you know, they were a lot further away if they were walking on the street. Yeah, they were. I think they were across the street. You think they were, they were like on the, the other street, side but... of the street, but it was still it, it still looks a lot closer here than, than it yes, did then. I, yes, and maybe that is. By design, you know, like because now they are going to soon living in this house full time. It is it is part of their immediate presence, whereas in that previous scene, it is a more remote possibility for them. Yeah, but it looked further it away from the from the road. That's what, that's my point. Back then, it looked further away. From oh, the road. yeah. Yeah. And now he's right there. Did, yeah. did you notice some of the I guess you can call it junk 
that looks that that's on the sides as he's walking into uh walking towards the the front of the door uh nothing specific that i remember what do, what do you have listed there i mean there's it, stuff all it over looks the to place. me like there's a lawn jockey there really oh, okay you know on the yeah, left hand sense. side if you're looking at at second 18 okay as he's walking by you see mm-hmm. it, what looks like a a figurine uh that that could very well be like a lawn jockey which is just really funny. Or it's like some little kid that's just stuck there. I don't know. It's one or, <laughs> one or the other. Probably a lawn jockey. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Probably. Do either of you know the, the, the history of lawn jockeys? Um, I do not. I mean, I know some history, and it also depends on the neighborhood you live in and how you have them painted, um, obviously, because... In a in a horsey area and an equestrian area, they're they're a big um, lawn ornament. Okay. Popular. Yeah. And do you know why? Do you know why they had them there when when people had a lot of horses? Yes, because they would tie up the horses. That's right. It was a hitching post. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Yes. Now they have them like holding a lantern. Correct. Um, So yes. Yeah. So there are a whole bunch of, of of uh different reasons uh used as to how the they first came into being and that some of them say that they were based on uh on on a uh a servant of george washington who was working in the continental army who they they the 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 boy's name was jocko graves uh that apparently he was left behind and and didn't cross the delaware with them and then he ended up dying while he was uh, tending to the horses, and he got, he was really? they say he was wow. frozen with a lantern in his hand. Do we so, know why he was left behind? They claim that it was too dangerous for him to cross. I don't know what that means. That's, <laughs> yeah, what is that? That's <laughs> it's the middle of winter. Yeah, wonder... We're almost freezing our butts off, but you know we're gonna we're gonna leave Jocko on on the other side. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he was just one of those sort of annoying travel companions that they felt like they had to ditch. Like, okay, this next campaign, we got to get rid of Jocko. He is bringing the mood down, you guys. <laughs> That's right. If he was just very high maintenance or something like that. Well, I, well, that, in my understanding, though, that would have the Jocko caricature was like, you know, a rather racist black caricature. Correct. So maybe um, you think that's why they would have left him. I don't think I don't think during the Revolutionary War, they really thought about it from that that perspective. I don't know. That's that's also why I didn't mention it, because I didn't think it was relevant to. Well, so if this they would have left him in the south. No, they left him when they crossed the Delaware. They they were going to New Jersey. Yeah, or no, sorry, when, okay. when they were crossing the Delaware. But it still or, might have been we there was still a large cultural difference between uh the northern states and the southern states. They didn't touch the itch, issue of slavery, even though pretty much every state in the north was against it. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um during the Revolutionary War and writing the Constitution and all of that, because they knew they were not gonna be able to get the South to join in if they tried to address right. slavery. So, so was this, this was, do we know if this, uh, if, if Jocko came from say like Mount Vernon from George Washington's like personal camp or was it, was he more of related to the military somehow in the North? Um, like, I, do we know I, was, I don't know enough let's about just, that. <laughs> what, 
Okay, I'm just curious. My if, well, to, to my guess that, would be it's probably from Mount Vernon. Okay, I mean that that's kind of what I was curious about. Like, was Jocko a slave to George? Yeah, Washington? probably. Yeah, it's the, very possible. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, and that is uh, like one of the terms because they're lawn jockeys used to very much so primarily be painted as black and in very racist caricatures. And it's only been like more recently with like, oh, that's, that's not appropriate. And they have repainted some of those as either white or, you know, I mean, you won't find the the ones that would be what um, some of like the similar like um, minstrel show characters, same kind of falls into that type mm -hmm. of um racist folk art right but that particular style of lawn jockey is called jocko right i was just going to ask is is so lawn that would jockey make me the term that, from yeah from jocko the name i wonder right so that would make me think that probably especially if that has that connection to george washington that it would definitely be have been a slave right that's so curious to me yeah but I guess to, if if it's to mind the horses, that was the reason, right? Was to take care of the horses. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I mean that is, I guess, in the late 1700s, that is critical. I mean that is. Yeah. It's true. It's a very having your car, especially in a war. Yeah, but but in okay. in Bedford okay. Falls in uh, 1930, in the early 1930s, eh, not not as important. <laughs> Yeah, but I will different. say that it's an older home for them to have a hitching post of any kind, be it a lawn jockey or something else, that probably does speak to the fact that the home is probably pre-automobile. Right. Right. Definitely. Makes sense. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, right. again, if, if so, in 1928 you know. they were throwing rocks at it and it was already abandoned, so, you know, it's not something that was just abandoned for a few years. It goes, it makes it sound as if it was, when they were discussing it, it makes it sound as if it's something that's been abandoned for a very long time. Yes. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's you know, this is the, the haunted house, as you mentioned it's earlier in this disrepair. this episode. You know. Yeah, I'm just so disappointed in the neighborhood kids for not breaking into that place and using it as a cool hideout or something like that, a fun clubhouse. It's just sitting there, you guys. What do you mean the they were throwing rocks and breaking windows? You know, <laughs> just they should hang out in there though. <laughs> I mean, it's very dangerous. Kids don't hang out in uh, condemned buildings, but it would be. A pretty cool hideout, I think. It's true. It's true. But maybe Mary didn't let anyone do it. Maybe Mary bought it when she was younger. <laughs> I feel like Mary has had her plans. And yes. Nobody will will sway her. From that it. is Mary yes. has been manifesting this moment. Yes. For sure. Yes. <laughs> for sure. And then the, the scene changes and we see Bert the cop with, with some other guy who we don't know who he is. Even in the script, he's just known as man. Really? Okay, that was I, that was a question I had. Of like, we're, are we supposed to know this guy? What, <laughs> but the cop? I'm, no, Bert, Bert the cop. No, we know. The, the other guy. Okay, I was gonna yeah, say, is hat. there Bert and Ernie? No, this is not Ernie. Ernie. This is not Ernie. Ernie's Ernie's the 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 butler that we get to okay, see later. Right? Okay. This is some other character. Right. Oh, this is the guy hmm. with the the little cap with the turned up bill, right? That's right. They, they're uh they've got the posters and all this. Yeah. That's right. And so, so Bert and this this guy have this conversation, and the guy goes, "Hey, this is the company's posters, and the company won't like this." You know, we we don't really know what company it is, but it makes sense that whatever company it is, you know, they shouldn't be using these posters. <laughs> and then Bert turns to him and goes, "How would you like to get a ticket next week?" 
You got any romance in you? <laughs> the love police have arrived. That's right. And then I was and then the, I was wondering if this police officer is is the police officer on duty? I'm wondering is he getting paid to do this? Probably. Or is this no? He's he's he's, he's a good friend life. of them. He's he's a good friend of theirs. You know. So it, it's yeah. You know it, it's. It's getting together. It's Bert and Ernie decided to get together and and help out Mary. You know that that's what it comes down to. Good Is friends, this yeah. Why Bert and Ernie were named Bert and Ernie in the Muppets? No. The, the claim by Jim Henson is is that it is not connected at all to the fact that the characters here are Bert and Ernie. That's his claim. Okay. I, I don't really yeah. believe it. Okay. I think it it just makes it it's it's too much of a coincidence. You know, we, we, and I feel like Jim Henson would really like this movie. This would be right up his alley. So it's amazing that we haven't seen "It's a Wonderful Life" starring Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy. Correct. That we have not seen, but but I what mean, we have seen is there is one. Uh, there's an episode of Sesame Street where Bert and Ernie are walking by a TV screen where the names Bert and Ernie are mentioned, and the two of them just like look at each other. You know, it's like, oh, okay. But that, that's as that's as close as as uh, as Henson got to to making a reference. Yeah, that's right. To acknowledge it. <laughs> and I love this guy's response to Bert. He goes, "Sure, I had it, but I got rid of it. <laughs> you had romance, but you got rid of it. Okay." And and then Bert says, "Liver pills. Who wants to see liver pills on their honeymoon? So where is this company and what type of posters do they have? You have posters for liver pills? I wonder yeah, if it's a I pharmaceutical mean, company. Okay, but at the same time, he then says, what we want is romantic places, beautiful places, places George wants to go. So uh, yeah, if it's a pharmaceutical company. The whole town knows. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just love that that the whole town knows that George wants to leave, has always wanted to leave that's and right. explore, and his Mister National Geographic and all this. Like that's really cute to me that they they want to give him that, knowing that. Yeah, all right. I mean, she just bought you a house, guy. Like you're you're stuck here. Well, I think so, I think right. what it is let's, is let's that that, that George is willing to tell everybody, I don't want to be here. <laughs> he doesn't care that he's gonna hurt someone's feelings yeah. or anything like that. I don't want to be here. That's it. Let me but out. at the same time, every time in this film that he has the opportunity to truly walk away, whether it's Potter offering him the opportunity to walk, the freedom to walk away or the board in the beginning, you know, you name it. He's like, no, this is important. And so really, it's like, sure, he wants to get away. But deep down inside, he's his father's son. Correct. Mm, you think he's sabotaging himself? I don't. I don't think. Maybe he's sabotaging. It, I wouldn't say he's sabotaging himself. I don't think sabotage. No. no. I, I think he he just realizes that you know his his wants and needs are less important than what's really needed in Bedford Falls. That the other people around him. Sure. He's not necessarily willing to acknowledge this, but that that's what it is. Yeah. He's a. Is, he's his an incredibly. An incredibly unselfish person. Um, and you know that's the admirable. I mean, uh, and obviously this film is a, a perfect Capra-esque slice of um, mid-century modern life, as we talk about on old movie time machine. But you know, kind of giving, selling us that like small town life is where you can make a difference, making a difference with your family and your neighbors and, you know, like you don't have to go and travel the world to be great. You can be great 
right in your own backyard, kind of like what Dorothy realizes at the end of Wizard of Oz. Correct. That's right. There's no place like home. You know. Sure. That's very There's true. no place like home. That's right. Well, and it's interesting to think that this is a, still a time in history where most people probably don't leave, uh, a, a, say, 20, 50 mile radius of where they were born. I, mean, I think we're still kind of in that spot. Now, obviously, we get rail transport and shipping improves. Uh, you know, so it's we'd also... the, the world is becoming smaller, but we're, it's a trans transitional process. Well, it's also because families stay close to one another and stuff like that. So you don't have very far to go. Like, I I still remember this when I was a senior in high school. So I had a physics teacher. So let's say I was 18. So he must have been in his uh, late 20s at the time. You know, he was a relatively new teacher or whatever. And I remember him telling me I grew up in Detroit or the suburbs of Detroit. And I remember he, he told me that he had never been outside of Michigan. And I was like... Floored yes. by that. And I said, wait a second, you know, mm-hmm. I'm 18 years old. I've been to places outside of the country. I've been to other states. You know, I have relatives that, that live on the East Coast and stuff like that. You know, to me, it was just a very strange concept. But but from his perspective, you know, all his whole family lived within a certain radius, you know, as Caroline just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, th- and this was this was in the early 90s. So we're talking 60 years after this takes place in, in, in the movie. But but it, it, it makes mm-hmm. sense, though. You know, when people didn't have a reason to travel far, they didn't they didn't go. The interesting right. thing is, though, that the the you know, this is early in the 20th century and the previous century manifest destiny mm-hmm. was a big deal in the 1800s. You know, we're talking about the expansion. Of but that was until you United found States. But that's until you found your homestead. Once you found your homestead, you didn't need to leave right. anymore. Mm-hmm. That was all, the idea right. was, OK, you don't have a place to go. So. Here we have this vast uh, area right. that you can go and manifest destiny, but but if you once you you know any there, any movie there. any movie you see when someone's you know uh, has you know a, a farm in the middle of nowhere or a ranch in the middle of nowhere you don't see them going anywhere you know that's it I'm here you know I'm not yep. I'm not moving forward yep. anymore you know that type of thing yeah it's just a, it's like an interesting generational thing where it was probably like what their grandparents or great grandparents that were like you know, moving to a completely across the ocean to a different country and trying to make a life somewhere else. And then, you know, by the time you get to a couple generations later, they're like, I'm just going to stay in my hometown. It's so nice and cozy. But but, but you have to look at it also from the perspective that, I mean, we, we don't know enough about the how the Baileys got to Bedford Falls and stuff like that. But, right. but it's very possible that the Baileys were some of the people who uh, you know, who started Bedford Falls. We don't know. Right. You know, it right. could be that the great-grandfather yep, of Bailey and the great-grandfather of Potter started this this little town named Bedford Falls, you know, and who knows? And that's why they all mm-hmm. stayed there for numerous generations afterwards. You have to also remember this is upstate New York. So they didn't go that far. Right. <laughs> you know. Sure. Right. And so the, the conversation continues yeah. between Bert and the, this, this unnamed guy, you know, as, and as they're talking, we hear a whistle. And then we hear Ernie whistle to, to to Bert, and he goes, "Hey Bert, here he comes!" And you see him like looking out the window. So this this shows us that that is that you know I always believed up until I started doing research for this one right now that this was Ernie with Bert. And then I you know as I'm looking at it, I'm like, wait a second, there's three people there, not two. You know, and, right. and anything I did to try and find out who this was, uh, you know, just didn't didn't give me a name. I mean, there's there's too many people in this movie that are 
uncredited on IMDb. So it's it's hard to find out uh, who they are because they don't really they just might have a name. And since they never mentioned this guy's name, there's no way of knowing who he is. And then uh, he's just man. That's right. That that that's literally how he's listed in the script. <laughs> that's so funny. You couldn't give him a name. That's right. It says Bert and Ernie are there with a man. <laughs> that's what it says. <laughs> it, it's it was yeah. very humorous the way that that, that it says it. Um, here I'll actually read what it says here. It goes, Bert and the man are putting up travel posters. <laughs> so strange. <Okay>. Why? <laughs> I mean, well, it, they only needed him for this one scene. So That's he right. served a very short purpose. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the description in the, in, in the script is, is quite interesting about, you know, when George shows up and it says, an old-fashioned rundown house unpainted and warped by the weather. It once had class, but has not been lived in for years. This is the house that George and Mary will live in from now on. The rain is pouring down. A faint glow of light shines out from bottom windows. George hurries into scene. He stops to make sure it is the right number before going up the steps. You know? Yes, he does seem rather mystified by it. You know, it takes him maybe a little bit longer, uh, as you pointed out before, than it should for him to kind of put the pieces together of what is happening. That's here. right. But yeah. He, he gets there. But he's, he's had a very trying day anyway. Yes, for sure. <laughs> you know, and then Bert edges on. Act day. Bert urges on the man and he goes, come on, we got to get this up. He's coming. Ooh, the groom, idiot. This is their honeymoon. Come on, get that ladder. What are they, ducks? <laughs> get that ladder up here. Yeah, uh, the, all right, all right. The ducks, the ducks joke is very... Uh, a great example of period humor, I feel yeah. like. You know, it's just, a little farmyard humor. Yeah, definitely. Especially mm-hmm. since, hey, guy, you're also standing outside in the rain. So are you a duck? You know, That's it's right. It's a little, little silly, but. Yeah. Then he goes, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And he goes, I'm hurrying. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, it's, 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 it's an interesting little uh, conversation between the two of the, them, you know, showing. I, I think what they're trying to show here is, is that. Not only does George help others in town, but other people in town are helping George. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's it, you get the sense of unity, camaraderie. Sure. That's right. And these guys are great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, that's all I have for this minute. Do you have either of had anything else for this minute? No, I think I'm excited for the next minute. <laughs> oh, definitely. I just want to see the inside of this house. That's tomorrow. That's tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. All right, so every Monday we have a segment called Capra Monday where my guests will give their top five uh, Frank Capra movies. So because there are two of you, what I decided to do is we're, we're, we're going to do it in, in snake order, snake fashion, okay, meaning that okay. you guys can choose who's first. Okay, the, one of you will give your number five. The other one will give the number five. And then that person will give their four, you know, and move back and forth. All right. So okay. Well, I will cede the floor to my sister just because she's the boss. Uh, I I just wanted to note that we both. We Wait a second. Are you guys did, brother and sister lists. Yeah. yeah oh, I didn't know that. We're siblings. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, yeah, Justin. We have completely different last names now. We do have different last names. That's true. Uh, and, but yeah, yeah, we're siblings, we, and we're also from Michigan too. Oh, cool. So yeah, we're, we're all actually, from Michigan. We're we're in Michigan. We're, yeah. We grew up in Livingston County. Oh, sure. I know where Livingston is. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So I grew up in Southfield, yeah. if that helps. Uh, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. That's that's where yeah. I was born. Yeah. You were born in yeah, Southfield? So right. Yeah. I was born in Southfield Hospital. Yeah. Southfield has a yeah. hospital? Our parents are from Livonia. Wait a second. Southfield has a hospital? 
<laughs> it did at the, yeah. in the it early 80s, apparently. Yeah. Okay, I was living there then, so I don't know. Hmm, interesting. Okay. okay. Um, but we did these lists separately. There may be some overlap. That's fine. Overlap, overlap is good. You have immaculate taste. <laughs> overlap is good. Okay. But Carolyn, I think you should take it first. All right, so Carolyn, okay, start with so your number I five. Actually, yeah, I actually only have four because these are the four that I've seen. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, do you want me to do five first? <laughs> yeah, you can go if you have if you have the actual number, I'm gonna let you just give us a five. Okay, Carolyn has seated the floor back to me. I will take it. Uh, I wanted to start with something a little outside the box because Frank Capra did a lot of films during the war to support the war effort. So I feel like it's kind of important to acknowledge him if we're gonna acknowledge the artists and the sort of um a great example of somebody who uses cinema for expressing uh, sort of American ideals, that kind of thing. Um, the, you know, the flip side of that is that he also was something of a propagandist on behalf of the United States during the Second World War. Who wasn't? He did all of these. <laughs> well, exactly right. That's just everybody got roped into it. Such were the times. That's right. So I, I was checking out some of his his films from that era. I've chosen one called two down and one to go. And this was released after VE day uh, when the European theater was finally settled, but the Pacific theater still had to be dealt with. And so it's look, this is not an incredible uh, movie from a cinema point of view, but it's certainly interesting from a historical point of view because the entire message that they're trying to relay to the audience who would be, members of the of the military still in service at this point is that uh hey guys we understand that europe has been won but we're not done yet really sorry about that we're gonna have to send some of you over to the pacific and then they walk through the reasons why using a lot of uh, interesting uh, animated maps uh, uh, just kind of visually compelling ways to to sell this idea to the military uh, of we have to keep fighting and here's why. And they, they're very apologetic tonally of like, we understand everybody wants to go home, but we still got one more thing to do you guys. <laughs> um, and so I would say, you know, any of these are very interesting to watch because he does chronicle kind of key moments throughout the war through his lens. Um, but this one, it was, it's in color. It's, it's kind of interesting. It's hosted by the secretary of war, Henry Stimson, he is not uh, a host. He's not somebody who should be hosting anything. He shouldn't be hosting a brunch at his house. <laughs> we probably could have used somebody, you know, Frank, you've got access to all of Golden Hollywood. <laughs> like, Get somebody yeah. to do a voiceover for you. Let's sell this thing. But it's interesting, and I think, you know, people should at least be aware of it. So that's my number five, two down and one two. Okay, so now move up to your number four, because it's snake fashion. So, you know, Caroline was theoretically only supposed to give her number five, so. No, no, it's okay. It's perfectly okay. Don't. I, I wasn't saying that despairing. Trust me. There are. I've had guests that only had one. So you guys are both already in good good company. That that, that you have uh, four and five. I'm, I'm fine with that. All right, Justin. Okay. Number four. So Carol. Oh, oh, it's me. Okay, Two. gotcha. Yeah, go with your fourth. All right. So I'm gonna go for number four. I'm gonna go with it happened one night. Uh, I think this is a really interesting film. It's sort of sets the template for every rom-com that came after it. Like it really solidifies a lot of these ideas of 
two people maybe opposite worlds meeting and they don't like each other at first, but then, you know, the chemistry is inevitable and they come together. And uh, it's also a very, because it's pre-code, it's, it's sort of kind of sexy. It's sort of a sexy movie for, uh, you know, the late 1930s. And uh, Claudette Colbert and Clark Gable have legitimate chemistry. You can feel it. Yeah. So um, I just think that's a, that's a pretty important movie. Okay. All right, Caroline, what what have you got for your number four? Um, so another James Stewart movie, uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, 1939. Um, you know, I just think it it's a classic uh, film that kind of captures, you know, politics of the time and some humor around politics of the time. Okay. Great. All right. So move up to your number three. Okay. So no, my number, number three. It's Caroline. Uh, it's Caroline's number three. Snake fashion. Okay. Snake fashion. You guys aren't familiar with snake fashion, I assume. <laughs> no. I'm really bad at snake fashion. Okay. This is, <laughs> I'll work on this for next time. My think of it. Number... Think of it as as, a, as you know. Uh, you know, if you have two columns, so you have the number five. You go five, and then you move to oh. move to the right, and then up, and I then to got, the left, okay. and up. There. Okay. Um, so <laughs> my number three is It Happened One Night. I put that a little yeah. bit higher on my list. So okay. same reasons. It's, you know, it's a great, there's great chemistry between the characters and also really, I think, is that template for rom-coms. Okay. Cool. Agreed. Okay. So now it is, now it is turn, your right? turn, Jeff. Okay. So we go to my, <laughs> con- okay, okay. So <laughs> I'll, I'll catch on. I'll get there. Uh, so my uh next one will be Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. And I just find it to be uh, an excellent representation of how government works, how idealism meets the machinery of government. It it holds completely true today. It's identical. I mean, really, like things haven't changed at all. This was probably the case. Uh, you know, the Senate of ancient Rome, the same type of things were happening. But I think it is a, a very well-told story about the the ideal man entering the fray of this already sort of pre-set up system of, of politics. And, and it addresses some issues uh, like Cla- the Claude Rains character in this addresses this pretty directly. And he tells him at one point that I was just like you. I get it. And you're going to have to learn that compromise will get you, you know, you might have to compromise on a big thing, but you'll get a thousand little things to go with it. Right. Now he eventually sells him out, but uh, it's a great performance by Claude Rains, yes. who I think doesn't get enough spotlight in the modern age, but he will always give you a sturdy performance. So, uh, and as far as, you know, this is a classic Jimmy Stewart performance as well. Yes. So, yeah. Okay. All right, now, once again, it's you, Justin, number two. <laughs> yes, I got it. Sorry. From sorry, there, sorry. I'm going to go with It's a Wonderful Life, which rocketed up the charts now that I've seen it because I really did enjoy this movie. I'm so happy to have enjoyed it. I'm sad in a way, mournful that I've spent years without it, but I, this is a very powerful, effective film and uh, very well made, made with a lot of love and uh, 
and we're we're here talking about it today. It's great. Well, I mean, I you know, you say that you're you're sad that you never saw it. I'm actually envious of you that you've only seen it for the first time now that you get to see it with fresh eyes. It was an amazing experience because so many cultural references suddenly fell into place for me. Things right. that are a part of the wallpaper of how we you know, how we exist as a as a culture mm -hmm. and to actually see where that comes from and have it like click in was such a gratifying experience. Oh, wow. you Very know, cool. Last soon and he's making violent love to me, mother, all of these things that Zuzu's pedals were that are a part of uh, just our cultural landscape. Now I get it. I know where it comes from and I feel better for no. it. Very cool. All right, Caroline, where have you, what have you so got? So mine, my number two is the same. It's a wonderful life. Um, and I feel like our number ones are also the same. Um, but I have, I, again, this was not a movie we watched in childhood for whatever reason. I'm not quite sure. Um, I mean, I'm sure we've watched it. I don't know once in childhood but it's one of my husband's favorite films so it is something that we definitely uh watch every holiday season um and it's something that i've really yeah as, as i have gotten older and my priorities in life have changed i've certainly identified with um you know different parts of this film and yeah sort of like the older i get the more i'm like yeah there is no place like home <laughs> yeah so okay makes sense my number one is <laughs> arsenic and old lace because I mean, who doesn't love Cary Grant and a little bit of like murdering ants that are just so sweet and nice about it. Um, <laughs> and the stress that that causes Cary Grant. So Charge. yeah, it's a great movie. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and also having your sibling think that they're Teddy Roosevelt. So did you have that issue also? Uh, oh, okay. No, but I mean. Now that I know that Justin's your brother, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I thought yet. I was plenty of. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Got it. And my number one is exactly the same. It's arsenic and old lace. I don't know how we ended up here, but here we are. And for me, we're, we're we grew up as big Halloween people. It was that was a big holiday for our family, and our neighborhood was very into the trick-or-treating and decorating the houses and everything. So this is just peak Halloween vibes mm -hmm. and uh, just an apex Cary Grants. And it's not maybe the most visually compelling movie just because it's based off of a stage play, I believe. So it kind of has that element stage to it of vibe. the one location, but it's, everybody's so charming in it. It's really funny. It's also really creepy and, you know who doesn't love Peter Laurie showing up and hitting? So definitely, this is a this is one I I bust out every year. Come October, I'm there for it. Very cool. It's great. Excellent. Ten stars. Wow. All right. So do you guys want to tell people where they can find you? Our show is Old Movie Time Machine. It's uh, available on all of the podcasting platforms. You can find us. We've got a some look for the big blue logo, blue cover art. Uh, we also have all of our episodes up on YouTube as well, if that's where you prefer to get your stuff. And please follow us on Instagram at Time Machine Podcasts. All right. Very cool. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Move Around Minute. You can find me on Facebook, find me on Twitter, and you can find me on my website, moveaboutminute.com. So until tomorrow, hot dog. Hot, hot dig it dog. Love you truly. 
truly did life with its sorrow life with its tears 